Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Now, maybe we have some here this morning going, I don't know where Ecclesiastes is, and if that's the case. If you are here last week, remember we, we looked at uh, the book of the Psalms, and I, if you remember I said, if you want to find the book of Psalms, you just kind of crack open the, the middle of your Bible, and you probably hit it. If not, just turn a few books forward or backward, and you'll get there. Well, it's kind of the same thing with Ecclesiastes. When I look at my Bible, it's just like almost exactly in the middle. Um, if you happen to hit the Psalms, it's just a couple of books for it. So Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is a part of the Bible which uh, is called wisdom literature. So when you, when you start learning the Bible, you see that there's different genres or types of literature in the Bible. So for instance, the first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch, written by Moses, and then you have historical books, and you have what's called apocalyptic books, which are filled with a lot of strange imagery, and it lets us into what's going to happen in the near and the distant future. And then you also have what's called wisdom literature, which basically lays out for us how we are to live wisely in this world in a way that benefits us and glorifies God. So wisdom books tend to be very practical in their orientation, okay? So wisdom books are like Job and uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. So we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and this morning what we're going to look at is, is a very practical teaching regarding the passage of time, the passage of time. Time never, as you know, never stands still. It's always moving forward, always moving forward. And what we're going to look at is the hand of God in the seasons and in the moments of our life and why, why that's important for us to understand. Okay, More could be said, but I want to get into the passage at this point. You'll notice here, especially in verses uh, 1 through 8, the word time is used, and you don't have to you know, check it out, because I think I'm right in this. The word time is used 29 times, just in those verses, dealing with the theme of time. All right, for everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, time to lose, time to keep, time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, and a time for war, a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. 
I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. We're going to end our reading uh, at that point. Now, I'm going to say something that may be a surprise to you. Then again, it may not be a surprise at all. And that is that most unchurched people, most people who would not probably call themselves Christians and those who don't go to church and worship on a regular basis, nonetheless still believe in God. I pause because I'm, I'm thinking about a number of cases where, where in the ministry and working with such individuals, I realize that over and over again. I realize that, that most unchurched people are not standard atheists. Actually, I've found, at least as far as my own experience is concerned, that, that there are actually few self-conscious atheists in the world. An atheist kid's meaning, an atheist is one who just says, I don't, I don't, I've, I've looked at all the evidence and I just don't believe in God. Fact of the matter is, most individuals, unless they're part of the Christian faith or unless they're part of some kind of religion, are more often than not kind of either agnostic, where they go, I, I've looked at the evidence and I, I, I don't know, I'm doubtful, but I just don't know in the end. Okay, that's an agnostic. Atheist is more militant. No way there's a God. So, most of them would probably be, in that sense, agnostic, but, but most people, if you interact with them who are not Christians or outside the church, are actually people who believe in God. Yeah, they will say, yeah, I believe in God, or sometimes they'll use the term, I believe in a supreme being or supreme deity of, of some kind. Yet the interesting thing is, is that when you kind of press them on that, you will find, more often than not, that they have a really hard time describing this supreme deity. So the supreme deity is basically quite unknown to them and therefore rather aloof and detached for them, detached in their minds from the world and also detached from themselves. Now, when you take a look at the Bible and when you examine life from a Christian worldview, then you see something very different. What you see is that God is not only real, but God can be known. This is one of the reasons why God has given us the Bible. It's, it's a way of disclosing himself, revealing himself to us. So when people, this is why Christians oftentimes say, well, if you don't know who God is, let me introduce you to the Bible. And then you begin reading, and the very first things you read, the very first thing you read in the Bible is, in the beginning, God. Not just that, but God created the heavens and the earth. Now, let's talk about that. All right. What we see in our passage is that God is 
intimately involved, and here's the basic theme of the passage, not only in the broad seasons or periods of our life, but in the minute details of our lives. So without further ado, I want to draw your attention to the very opening of the passage. This is what we read. For everything there is a season, and there is a time for every moment under heaven. Now I want you to chew on that a little bit. For everything there is a season. Everything means everything, and it's talking about everything in life. The seasons and the moments of our lives, these things are appointed for us. And the reason why I say that is because when you look at the original language in the original Hebrew, what you discover is that the word seasoned actually means appointed season, determined season, or predetermined, more accurately, or predestined And we use that word predestined, that assumes that there's a personal God who with his hand is orchestrating everything in our life. At this point in the beginning of Ecclesiastes, we're seeing that God has predestined seasons or periods of our lives. Now, when you're younger, you don't necessarily always understand those periods or those seasons. But let me tell you what, when you get older, when you get in your 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond, you look back in your life and you go, oh yeah, Okay, I remember when I was in my teens, that was a season. And I remember when I was in my 20s, maybe going to college or into the workforce, that was another season of my life. Then if you get married and you start having kids, oh, that's another season and on down the line. All of those seasons are orchestrated by this, by the hand of God. So are the moments of our lives. Okay, it talks about seasons, but it talks about moments. Seasons has to do with periods of our lives. Moments have to do with specific seconds and minutes of our lives, all of them orchestrated by God. So, when you consider the Christian faith and a Christian worldview, here's, here's something we need to understand. Kids, listen closely. Okay? I just said to you that God controls all things. Now, Therefore, if that's the case, that God is real and God is personal and controls all things, there are two things that we don't believe in. One is fate and the other is chance. You say, what is fate? Fate is where someone believes that all of life is controlled by impersonal forces that are ultimately beyond our control. So sometimes people say, when something happens, oh, that was just fate. Like, in other words, that was just predetermined to happen. But that predetermination is divorced from a personal God. So there's that old song, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future is not ours to see. Que sera, sera. You know where that comes from? Most of you don't because you're not over 70 years old, right? So that comes from Doris Day. I think she had a TV program. She would sing that song. It's a song about fate. Okay, but we don't believe in the opposite of fate, which is chance. And chance is where we believe, or people believe, that life is just random. Things just happen. Things just happen in the world. So it's like the luck of the draw, the flip of the coin. Man, you won the lottery. Oh, who would ever thought? Man, you were lucky. I find even a lot of us as Christians, we oftentimes use the word lucky, don't we? And you start thinking about it. Do we really believe in luck? We don't believe in luck. We don't believe in chance. We don't believe in fate. We believe all things are predetermined, if you will, wonderfully set in place, predestined by God. Now, if you're, if you're a Christian, you've been part of the church for a while, 
It's, it's no new news. Yeah, well, tell me something I don't know. If you're not a Christian, or you're not very familiar with the contents of the Bible, the Christian faith, this blows your mind. Because like, oh, wow. Okay, I hadn't thought about it that way. I guess God is kind of involved. Yeah, he is. Now, let me, let me explain that further. Take a look at verses 2 through 8. Now, this is talking about these appointed times for God, and God has appointed and appropriate times for every part of our lives. Again, the periods and the moments of our, our lives. The word time is used 28 times in verses 2 through 8. Now, verses 2 through 8, really, really a quick aside. This was, this was, some of you may be aware of this, especially if you're older or you're not, but there was a rock group 57 years ago, 1965, called The Birds, and they had this song. It was number one in the U.S. and number two in Canada called Turn, Turn, Turn. Right? It's kind of a pretty song. And it's anti, actually an anti-war song that was a response to what was going on in Vietnam. And so the, the song really borrows heavily from verses 2 through 8. And the way the song ends is the way verse 8 ends. A time for war and a time for peace. I swear it's not too late. But that's an anti-war song that has nothing really to do with what we have here in this passage, which is God is orchestrating all things. Now notice here... In verses 2 through 8, I want to I draw upon some of the, the phrases that are used here. We're not going to go through all of 2 through 8. simply going to take too much time. And besides, 2 through 8 is designed to be not exhaustive, but representative of life that we live. So, kids, once again, you can understand this. Okay, listen up. Our times are in God's hands. And then the writer of Ecclesiastes says, okay, when we look at our lives, we see that God has appointed various times for our lives. So, kids, there was a time when you were born, and there's going to be a time when you're going to die. And that's all in the hands of God. He knew, not only did he knew, not did he know, but he controlled the time that you were conceived, and the time when you were born into this world, and the time that you're going to die. He gave you your first breath, and he's going to give you your last breath. I don't know about you, but that's kind of comforting to know that, that I'm not living in a world of chance, but, but God has determined my beginning and my end, and that I will always be in his hand. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's, there's, a, there's a time. This is the farmer's text. There's a time to plant. There's a time to pluck up. Or to harvest. You do that in the spring, you do another one in the fall. There's an appointed time and appropriate time. Okay, for instance, there is a time to laugh and there's a time to weep. And there are not only appointed times for these things, but they're appropriate times. You don't go to a funeral and go, oh, wow, you know, you know that, that, that's not appropriate. On the other hand, when you're at a wedding, it's probably not appropriate to cry, unless it's cries of joy. Right? There's appropriate time for these things. There's, a, there's what I call the hoarder's text. Time to keep, time to throw away. Wives are going, honey, you're listening? Or maybe it's the husband, right? Oh, honey, you listening? You know, this is for you. I know you're going to have some conversations on the way home after this. Okay, so remember that. Time to keep, time to throw away. Um, there's the consistory text. Consistory is like the leaders of the church. You get together. There's a time to speak. There's a time to remain silent. You've got to know those times. 
I haven't always followed it. I know other guys have followed, but there's a, there's a time to speak, and there's this time to shut up and just listen, right? There are appropriate times for these things. Finally, there's, there's something that we can identify with. There's a time for war, as we are experiencing now in Ukraine, but Lord willing, in time, hopefully sooner rather than later, there's a time for peace. This, 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 this time passage, verse 2 through 8, is a record of human history, and really it's a record of our lives and what we experience throughout our lives, right? It's a time for these various things. And all of them, all of them are, are orchestrated by God. You remember some time ago, um, kids, I'm going to talk to you again. Remember where I said that That when we think of the Lord and we think of him and his work in our lives and his hand in the times of our lives, that we, 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 think, we think of this, we think of, a, we think of a conductor who's conducting an orchestra or a choir. And, I, and I've said before to you that um, my dad was a choral conductor at, at, at a place now called Dort University. And I remember going to concerts as a kid. I didn't always like to go to concerts, but I did. And, but I, I, I remember, as I think back now, Dad's gone, but I remember this, and I remember how expressive he was with his hands. I studied his hands, and, and he, would, he would do things like this, you know, sometimes before hundreds of people, you know, like this, or, or, or like this, you know, with sopranos come in, basses fade out, or um, when, when he, he was built, I'm kind of a thinner build, but he had like a football player's build, and he, when he wants something, he's, he's, he's very strong, and be like, this, you know, or, or when you want in the choir, you go, like this, you can kind of see it from the back. Sometime um, when Joy and I were preparing to move here to Abbotsford to take on Pathway, we had to sift through our stuff, right? It's time to keep and time to throw away. And we're sifting through some of the stuff, and I found one of the scores of my dad for a very big piece that he um, conducted. It was called Brahms Requiem. A.V., if you put that up, I want to show you that. It's kind of small there, um, but at any rate, notice the markings of the, this is just one sheet of this large piece. Notice the markings that he made. You can't really see, but you can, you can see, you know, like this and like this is, this is um, where it's supposed to get louder and it's supposed to get softer, and if you read some things he wrote, he would write oboe or harp or trombone where they come in, and I wanted to show you that because, visually because that's the way that we have to think of God. That, that God, God is conducting from a score, and that score is the plan of our lives. And when you look at the score, if you could look at the score, you see the when and the why and the how of our lives. These are not things that happen randomly. They're in the score of God. He's orchestrating all things. You know what we call that doctrinally? We call that, Christians have used a term that that's, that's, uh, was, was understood years ago, not so much today. It's called God's providence. Providence. Try to remember that term. Kids, if you're in catechism class, if you haven't learned it yet, you will. The providence of God. Now, a lot of times, evangelical sir, uh, people in evangelical circles, if something happens, maybe you've heard this before, they say, oh man, that was a God thing. That was a God thing. In other words, well, and I'm like, what isn't a God thing, right? So in contrast to that, we have a better word for that that Christians have used throughout history. It's called providence. 
And one of our confessional standards of this church called the Heidelberg Catechism asked this question, what is the providence of God? And the answer is, the provi- listen carefully, the providence of God is the almighty and ever-present power of God, whereby, as it were, with his hand, he upholds, but he also governs or rules over all things so that whether it's leaf or blade, health, sickness, riches, poverty, floods or drought, these kinds of things, nothing comes by chance, whether good or bad, but all things come from our Father's hand. In fact, in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 14, it says, in the day of prosperity, be happy, but in the day of adversity, remember that God has made one as well as the other. Nothing outside the providence of God. It's a beautiful thing. Now, very quickly, if you look at verse 10 and 11, you'll notice then that there's a reason for our lives. Notice what the, what the writer of Ecclesiastes says, verse 10. He says, I have seen the business that, that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. So the writer of Ecclesiastes says, I have observed life, I've seen the business and the work that God has given to individuals to do. And he says, as I observe individuals and their work and their lives, I realize something, that because the times, our times are in God's hands, that everything then is, he says, beautiful for its time. A, a, a word, a, a, the, the Hebrew word there probably would be better translated suitable uh, or proper. Everything is suitable for its time. Again, whether it's an easy time in life or a difficult time, we have to realize it's suitable for us at that time, and it's actually good for us at that time, although we cannot necessarily understand it at the time. In other words, he's saying, it's a good thing, it's God's control, and we're not. God knows what he's doing. He goes on to say, also, he has put eternity into man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to end. Kind of another way of saying that is this. You and I are bound by time. God is not. He is eternal. Now, we get a sense of the eternal. God has put that in all our hearts. In other words, we have a sense that this life is not all that there is. And again, you even talk to someone who is unchurched, and they kind of go, if you say, do you think there's life beyond? And they go, yeah, I do. Most of them will say that. God has sown that into our hearts. So we have a sense of the eternal, but in, the, in, the, in another way, when the, when the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying God has put eternity in our hearts, he's also saying we have a sense that what we're going through in our lives, that there's, there's a bigger plan at work here, a bigger plan. That God knows what he's doing with that plan. That is the Christian's confession. But, it, but there are many times in our lives where we're going through a particular moment in our lives, or especially a season of our life, we can't see the big picture. We can't see the back end because we're not probably old enough at this point. God sees the beginning from the end. He sees all things and orchestrates all things. Let me, let me give us a little bit of breather here and... Um, Give me an example of that. I want to speak to those here, especially who are, let's say, between about 15 and 25. Okay? 
Because I, I think for those of us here who are older, we would say as we look back on our lives, the years 15 to 25 are probably the most influential in our lives because they set the course of our lives. So the principles that you put down between 15 and 25, whether you like it or not, are going to affect you the rest of your life. All right. This is, this is why sometimes when younger people go south, you know, we, uh, the older ones get, get worried because like, okay, remember the kind of habits that you're forming now that you're, you're going to take with you. So think about that. Okay, now, we don't always see the big picture. That's the point I want to make here. Very quickly. When I, when, when I was, let's say, in high school, I hung out with a bunch of guys, and I remember a teacher saying, so what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I don't know, I think I'd like to drive truck. What I, that's the way I was, really, 17, all right? Then God had, had other plans, I tried to be brief with this, so that when I entered into college, it kind of matured a bit, expanded a bit, and I took... Uh, I've always liked to write, so I took English courses, writing courses, creative writing courses, and then um, uh, I, I, I got involved, I had an English major in a, what we call a communications minor, and then there was a time where a publisher in town, I got in touch with him, and I could use my writing skills at the local newspaper, so I worked in a newspaper for a while, and he was also uh, in the Army Reserves. He said, you should go into the Army Reserves and get further training in journalism. And I thought, okay, why not? So I entered the U.S. Army and um, went through basic training with everybody else, and my MOS, or my job description, after going through advanced individual training, was public affairs. And so I went to a place in Indianapolis, Indiana, called the Defense Information School, where I went through radio and TV training. And I wanted to do that because my brother also was in broadcasting as an anchorman and producer. And I thought, that looks like a great job. I, would I think maybe I have the gifts for that. All right, so I went through all that. Here's the thing. Let's start moving to an end here. I went through the radio course, and um, I washed out of the radio training. That means, like, younger people, that means your pastor flunked out. There was an 80% washout rate. And they said to me, they called me into the office at one point with 80% of others, and they said to me personally, they said, you know what, your broadcast writing, your announcing is fine, but your DJ work's pretty bad. And it's true, because when you do DJ work, I wasn't cut out for that, because you, you have to multitask a lot of things at the time, and I'm not a multitasker, okay? So, so I washed out of the program. I was devastated. I thought, what am I going to do now? I am, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be able to follow the course that I think God has set out for me, and so that was a tough deal. And I just felt like quitting everything. So I took a job in the Army, and it was, I said, I'll take any job to get me through the Army. And they said, okay, you can take a supply course. Have you ever watched MASH, Radar O'Reilly? That's what I did for a while. Okay, so that's what I did. All right, so here, here, here's the thing. Since then, I've been involved in various things. And I took a Calvin's Institute's class at the college after the Army. And after that, I started reading theology. And I had a cousin who offered me books for free on theology. And I got interested in that. But there was still the problem of public speaking, deathly afraid of public speaking. And I thought I could never do this. And then God put Joy and I in a hospitality ministry where I was forced by the chaplain there to give um, a little devotionals to men who are seafarers from all over the world at a hospitality center, and sometimes I had up to 100 men, and that's how I learned how to public speak. Here's the point. And those of you between 15 and 25, I want you to remember this. When I look back on my life at that time, I did this and this. I had English and creative writing, and I did radio work at the college, and I went through radio training, and 
uh, had did some public speaking and that kind of thing. And, I, and there was a point when I was about 26, I thought, I don't know where all this is leading. Then I went to seminary, then I went to ministry, and here's the thing. Here's where I'm at now. This is where I at was I was 17, here I'm at now. When I look back on the life, I see now it's all come together. Now it's all come together. God always knew that it was together. All I saw was the season at the time. All I saw was the moment of the time. If you do that, you're going to get depressed. But if you trust in the Lord and believe that point A all the way to point Z is covered by God and he's moving in your life, trust him that by the time you get a bit older, you're probably not going to be able to explain everything in your past, but you're going to be able to explain a lot because God guided you all the way through. Don't worry. Your child of God, just don't worry. What did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God and all things will be added to you. AV guy, there's one other image. Don't put it up. We don't have time for that. Let's just move on. I want to, I want to draw your attention just to verse 12 through 15. I'm going to be very quick with this. The writer of Ecclesiastes goes on to say, I perceived. Better word in the Hebrew language is I know. Perceiving is just like, Okay, I, 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 I examine and I think I understand. The word no carries with it certainty. I know that there's nothing better for them or us than to be joyful and to do good as long as we live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil and all his work. This is God's gift to man. If our times are in the hands of God, there's no room for heavy faces, although we go through difficult times. But we, we should live joyfully, knowing that God is orchestrating everything in our lives. I perceived, again, I know that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added nor anything taken from it. Again, it's all in the plan of God. God has done it so that people fear before him. Here's the ultimate reason why we need to understand why God is orchestrating everything in our lives. So that in the end, we may recognize that he's in control, our times are in his hand, and we may in the end fear him because of that. Now kids, when it says fear here, it's not saying, well, because we know God's, our times are in God's hand and God has a plan for us, therefore we should be afraid. It's not what he's saying. The word fear means reverence or respect. Trust. Trust. The idea is that when we look at our lives, we don't, we don't always understand everything because we don't see it on the back end and we don't see the whole picture. But we trust. We trust that God knows what he's doing and is doing what he wants to do. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? You trust God? You trust Him. You know, the, the book of Romans, as we close now, the book of Romans 8.28 says this, For we know that God works out everything, everything for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. We know that God works out everything. And maybe you're saying, yeah, but I'm feeling pretty bad here this morning. I am struggling. It's a season. It's not going to last forever. It's a season. It's a time. 
you trust God in those times, that he knows what he's doing. You continue to love him and serve him. When you are a Christian and you have repented and you embrace Christ by faith, you're in the hand of God and he does not let you go. As Jesus says, no one will snatch my people from my hands. Nope, can't take them. Nope, they're in my grip. You believe that and you believe that if you are in the grip of God, even though you may go through some times where everything's going south and everything is dark and ugly, that God still has you in his hand and he's going to bring you where you need to be. When you're in Christ, Christ makes that possible. Christ makes that possible. We need to draw near to Christ. And so that, that we, need to, we need to say, therefore, that, that because we believe that, we, we can face life in a spirit of shalom, in a spirit of, of peace. And that's why we're going to sing the hymn in just a moment, When Peace Like a River. I want you to, when you sing that, think about that, that peaceful river. The river is flowing to you. Not a little stream, not a little trickle, but a river. And God is inviting you to drink from that river that you may experience peace and shalom, knowing and trusting that your life, the seasons and the seconds of your life, are in the hand of God. So that we may say, in the end, praise God, as we're going to sing, it is well. It is well with my soul. Okay? We're going to sing that in just a moment. Quickly, let's pray together, and then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a, what a blessing it is to be in Christ. What a blessing it is to know you, and what a blessing it is ultimately, O oh God, to trust you in the good times, but also in the times that are dark or the times that are confusing. We're wondering, Lord, what are you doing with my life? Where is it going? Help us to trust since our time is near our hand, and because we are children of God, you are orchestrating all things for our good and for our benefit. Grant us, O oh God, that kind of faith, we pray in Jesus' name.